Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we upload your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Stephen Hoffman talks about the five technological forces that change everything. But first, here's news of tiny dentists. Dentists. A collaboration between the University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine and School of Engineering and Applied Physics has led to microscopic robots that can clean the biofilm of plaque on your teeth that would otherwise require a dentist to scrape your teeth with a metal tool. Biofilms can grow on biological surfaces such as a tooth or in a joint, or on objects like water pipes, implants, and catheters. Wherever biofilms form, they're very hard to remove because the sticky matrix that holds the bacteria provides protection from antimicrobial agents. Previously, the University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine had developed iron oxide containing nanoparticles that work catalytically, activating hydrogen peroxide to release free radicals that can kill bacteria and destroy biofilms. When the iron oxide containing nanoparticles work catalytically, they can be reused over and over. The University of Pennsylvania's own School of Engineering and Applied Physics had developed a robotic platform that used very similar iron oxide nanoparticles as building blocks for micro-robots. The movement of these robots is controlled wirelessly with a magnetic field. The dentists suggested to the engineers and physicists that they should team up. This new team designed, optimised and tested two types of robotic systems, which they call catalytic antimicrobial robots, capable of degrading and removing biofilms. The first robotic system suspends iron oxide nanoparticles in a solution, which can then be directed by magnets to remove biofilms on a surface like a plough. The second platform embeds the nanoparticles into gel moulds constructed in a 3D printer. These were used to target and destroy biofilms clogging enclosed tubes. Both types of robots effectively kill bacteria, broke down the matrix that surrounds them and removed the debris. After testing the robots on biofilms growing on either a flat glass surface or enclosed glass tubes, the researchers tried removing biofilm from the hard to reach parts of a human tooth. The catalytic antimicrobial robots successfully degraded and removed bacterial biofilms not just from a tooth surface, but from one of the most difficult to access parts of a tooth, the ismuth, a narrow corridor between root canals where biofilms commonly grow. Removing the debris is essential to make sure that the biofilm doesn't just grow back. The motion of the robot can be directed using images of the biofilm gathered from microcameras and other medical imaging. These kill, degrade and remove catalytic antimicrobial robots may fight persistent biofilm infections 
and mitigate biofouling of medical devices and many other surfaces. The Penn Centre for Health Devices and Technology is connecting the researchers to business mentors and resources within the Pennsylvania University community to translate their technology into a commercially available product. Their paper was titled Catalytic Antimicrobial Robots for Biofilm Eradication and was published in the journal Science Robotics. A visit to the dentist might be a whole lot more interesting and hopefully much easier for both the dentist and the patient. You're listening to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. What are the major technological forces for change in our lives that we need to talk about? Steve Hoffman, known as Captain Hoff in Silicon Valley, is the CEO of Founderspace, an international startup incubator and the author of The Five Forces That Change Everything. I spoke to him by Zoom after major technical issues, and I began by asking him, what are the five forces that change everything? So in my book, I delve deep on five fundamental forces that are going to change the future of humanity. And each of these is a technological force because technology, as we all know, is rapidly changing our society. I mean, just look at today, how new technologies are sprouting up faster than ever, and they're having a bigger impact than ever before. That is what inspired me to write this. You know, if you go back to the Middle Ages, you could go a thousand years and virtually nothing changed. Life was pretty much the same as a thousand years before. Now you go a thousand days and it feels like you've missed out on everything. There's a whole new world, all these new apps, all these new technologies people are using. So in the next 10 years, these are the five forces I see that are coming really fast and really strong. Number one is mass connectivity. And what do I mean by that? I mean, the first wave of mass connectivity was Gutenberg's printing press, where we all got connected through the printed word. And then, you know, different forms, radio, television, the internet, mobile, what is coming next? Well, what's coming next in mass connectivity, which is this driving force for humanity, is brain-computer interfaces. What happens when we embed chips in our brains or even use non-invasive technologies to read our brainwaves, which is literally could be a little device you put behind your glasses or a headband you're wearing. And those are available today, just so you know. The next one in mass connectivity is augmented reality and virtual reality. Now, what happens when all these forces converge and transform how we connect to the internet and how we connect to each other? Number two is bioconvergence. Now, bioconvergence is what we're seeing, these new technologies that are allowing human beings to essentially merge with the technology we create. The most fundamental one is gene editing. So editing people's genes. What does that mean for our future when we have now decoded the source code, essentially, for life on this planet? 
plant life, animal life, we have the ability to create plants and animals that never existed. We have the ability to reshape our own bodies. We have the ability, biohackers are actually going even a, a, another direction and they are incorporating electronics into their bodies. So all of this is under bioconvergence. Number three is human expansionism. And human expansionism is this drive to go really deep on the, on the micro level, actually the nano level, to where we are manipulating molecules, we are building nanorobots, we are using quantum computing to reshape our world. And at the same time, go really broad and far into space travel. So we are expanding down into the invisible world and up into outer space, you know, with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, all pushing this wave of space technology. And these again, will fundamentally transform us. And number four is deep automation. So artificial intelligence is here now. We see it rolling out everywhere. And artificial intelligence is like electricity. It literally will transform every business on the planet and everybody's lives. That is because we can now make things smarter, re embed intelligence in our devices, in our algorithms and our processes. So this intelligence is permeating everything from the apps on our phones to devices in our home, to the self-driving cars we keep hearing about and beyond. Soon, almost every job on the planet will be able to be handled by a machine faster and better. What does that mean for our future? And number five is the big one. This comes after deep automation. And this is the intelligence explosion. And that is when we actually succeed in building machines that are as smart or smarter than human beings. And what I'm talking about is machines that aren't narrowly focused because right now we have really good AI which can be smarter than humans, but it's very narrow. It can only do one thing really well. So for example, AI could do voice recognition very, very well, but that voice recognition software isn't conscious or even close to being conscious. It's just a machine. We can do you know, self-driving cars now that drive themselves around the street, but that car has no idea it's on a street, what a city is. It has no awareness of other context. It is just reacting. It's a bunch of algorithms, deep learning algorithms. What happens when we develop algorithms that first of all, can write their own code so they can make themselves smarter and smarter. And they make themselves so smart at a certain point that they are approaching human intelligence and then surpassing human intelligence. How will this change us? Will we be living with computers that are the equivalent of sentient beings? Living with computers that may be as smart as us or much smarter than us and have a greater awareness of the world and the universe. What does that mean for humanity? Those are the five forces and some of the questions I bring up. Amazing stuff to think about. And there's just so much going on. So in, in the world of mass connectivity, some of the things you mentioned there with the brain-computer interfaces, like there's issues. If you have hardware implanted inside you, and as you say, things are going so fast, it'll be obsolete next year. So you have to take it out and get another one in. <laughs> you probably will. And upgrading your personal hardware on your body will become routine. Now they'll build the hardware so that it can be upgraded. First of all, upgraded through software, as we know. So routinely, if you get a chip implanted in your brain, 
And that chip is allowing you to connect to the internet and communicate to the internet and possibly connect to other people and actually start to understand what they're thinking, even not just consciously, but subconsciously in a whole host of other applications. I call these brain computer applications. They will be coming. So instead of using our trusty cell phone everywhere we go, we won't need a cell phone because literally everything we think will be communicating with the cloud. Now, this software, will upgrade itself automatically. And then the hardware, they will need to design it so it can be easily replaced. Now you talked about having a chip in your brain. And this is something that Elon Musk has talked about and a lot of other people. And actually at Brown University and Duke University, you know, they're really experimenting now with putting chips in people's brains. Now these aren't everyday citizens. These are people with severe medical conditions like locked in syndrome where they're completely paralyzed. And so for them taking the risk and having a chip implanted in their brain that will actually give them uh, a, some sense of, of agency over their life is a really, it's not a big risk, right? Their life is already very limited. And these chips can actually allow them to control robotic arms and feed themselves, to drive wheelchairs, even to message on the internet. So people with chips in their brains today can do this. This technology is here. Today, these chips are hard to upgrade. And honestly, the chips, they're not perfectly designed. They can corrode within the brain and, you know, over time, and that could cause problems. We haven't seen all the problems yet, but we're just at the beginning of this. So, but in the future, honestly, for most of us, when by the time we feel comfortable if ever getting chips in our brain, those chips, they'll have to really last a long time. And when we want them removed, they'll be, have to be able to be removed safely. And that's a big issue. It's actually an issue that scientists are concerned about. They're saying, look, we have this technology now to put chips in people's brains and actually do a lot of things. But these chips, you know, they're not yet designed to be fully compatible with biology. And we still have a lot of work to do in that area. Perhaps it'd be better to have something on the outside. Yes. You're mentioning yeah. in the book that there's things like there's tattoo, EEG electrodes and various other things. Maybe you could still access the brain from outside and then upgrade things as often as you like. Yes. So this is probably the one that's going to go mass market. I mean, I, Elon Musk likes to think we're all going to get a chip in our brain, but honestly, most of us will probably be pretty reluctant to do that, at least at first, before we see any benefits from it. So right now on the market, you can go on Amazon and other websites, and you can actually buy a brain computer interface, which is no more clunky than this headphone I'm wearing right now to do this podcast. It's literally a band that you can put across your forehead called EEG type technology that can read your brainwave. Now, there's a company, Interaxon, that makes the Muse. It's one of the more popular ones out there. And if you uh, put this on, it can help you do things like meditate, kind of get feedback on your different brain states so that you're, you're more aware of how your brain is functioning, whether you've slept well, whether you're able to concentrate, whether you're able to relax, these sort of things, it does well. But it's not sophisticated enough by a long shot yet to read your thoughts. So that is still coming. And those are in development, like DARPA, which invented the internet, the US military, and a lot of other big companies like Apple and Google, they're all experimenting with this right now. They're not talking about it because it's a little distant, but I tell you, them and a lot of startups that I work with personally, they are developing these technologies and they are really serious 
about having a device called non-invasive, means you don't have to drill a hole in your head to, to get it in there, that you can literally put on your head like you would a pair of Bluetooth headphones and walk around and connect to the internet. When will these come? People are asking, when will it come? Well, it's here now, but when it will really take a quantum leap and allow us to really merge our brains with that all that information out there in the cloud, when that will come, it these technologies don't, emerge in a linear fashion. Like it's literally like, we don't have it, we don't have it, we don't have it. And then the next day you're gonna see, wow, it's here. You know, like when the iPhone launched, you're like, whoa, like this, you can actually do this with a phone. I didn't see it for most people, they didn't see it coming because they weren't tuned in. So this technology could come anytime. And I'm telling you, it could come within the next five years, 10 years or further out. We don't have a, uh, until it's here, we never know the exact date but it will happen and it will happen in, in for sure in most of our lifetime. Well, some of these gadgets claim to stimulate your brain to make it easier to learn certain things. So there's a bit of writing as well as reading. There's a band you can put on with a bit of direct current stimulation that's supposed to make it easier to learn to do physical things like play an instrument or learn sports. Yes, and this these things kind of sync up and tune your brain waves to put you in that mode where you're you're better able to be creative or learn or concentrate. But these are pretty primitive. They're still primitive. What we're talking about, or at least what I'm talking about in the five forces, is true mass connectivity. And that means it would not only be as good as the internet, uh, how we communicate now on a phone. You know, we're tapping a phone. Now, tapping a phone seems very convenient and easy and uh, productive, but it's still slow. Like, think about it. You, you're literally tapping on this device. What happens when you can, at the speed of however fast you can think, all of a sudden information is transferring? That is the quantum leap. That is where we are going with this technology. And it may seem like science fiction, but literally, like I said, in the lab, they've been running amazing experiments. They have monkeys out there with chips in their brain and a monkey can literally do all sorts of things, control robots, you know, drive around in, in a little vehicle just by thinking. So there's no reason if a monkey can do it, we can't do it in the future and in the not too distant future. They also did an amazing experiment at Duke University. They had two rats in separate cages in separate cities. But each of these rats had a chip in their brain connected to the internet. One rat saw a light going on and it learned that when that light goes on, it can press a button and get food. The other rat never learned this, but as soon as its brain was connected to the first rat, instantly it understood how to get the food, even though no light went on in its cage. It knew when the food was available. Why? Well, what they did and what they proved was they could transfer information from one living brain directly to another living brain over the internet. Imagine us reading one another's thoughts over the internet. No more texting. Texting will seem so slow. We can literally read each other's thoughts. We can, they did other experiments where they had monkeys work together to solve problems. They called it the brain net where they're actually wired together. And the monkeys didn't know that they were working together. They didn't realize it, but on a subconscious level, they were able to solve problems that no single monkey could do alone because each monkey only got part of the information. So they couldn't solve the problem alone. It was impossible. Yet when they were connected, they solved the problem. So we're gonna see a world where our brains are wired together and then we get this super 
metabrain of all of these brains in humanity, way beyond the internet now, working together both consciously like we do today, but also on a subconscious level. We have never seen anything like it. And it's going to radically transform our conception of the world, the universe, and ourselves. That's got the benefits of sort of a super collaboration where we can work together in ways we've never been able to do before. And then it's got all sorts of security and privacy issues where people might get into your head that you don't want into your head. This is a really important issue you bring up because we don't, yes, we have barely begun to understand the internet and our own privacy concerns, and we haven't done a great job of managing our privacy on the internet. What happens when we have a brain computer interface? What happens when people are able to tap into our thoughts and extract our thoughts? I mean, it's bad enough. We're on Facebook now and Facebook ends up selling our information to Cambridge Analytica or other or using our information for advertising and manipulation. That is bad enough. Facebook, just so you know, is developing a brain computer interface. They publicly announced this. Would you trust Facebook with your brain and, and everything in your brain? I certainly wouldn't. So we have real concerns there. How do we protect our brain, you know, our most precious and most private thoughts? You know, there might not be on the internet. They're definitely in our brain. Like, and they, people can extract them, potentially use them to control us, manipulate us, or use them against us in some way. So this is really important. What's even more scary is that when we have two-way communication, we will not only extract information from the brain, but what happens when we can write to it? Because imagine the ability to learn a language overnight, you know, literally like in your sleep or complex math problems, or because you could write into your brain, you could be at, your brain can be processing while you're asleep or in the background, you could be feeding it information, making ourselves smarter. This sounds really amazing. And there are a lot of amazing benefits, but could somebody potentially write over our memories? We know that our memories are very malleable. It doesn't take a lot. In fact, every time a memory is brought up, we actually write over it, like just by remembering it, it's actually changed. So these brain computer interfaces have the potential to write over our memories. And literally right now, if somebody steals your identity online, you know, they're stealing your social security numbers, things like that, your bank accounts, they can cause you a lot of problems. But if they steal your identity, and a brain computer interface, they have the potential to steal you. <laughs> they have the potential to literally reprogram you. Now, not only would we not want to trust Facebook with this, but what happens when governments have this? You know, the power is, is really strong. How do we protect this? Do we use new technologies like advanced blockchain to actually secure our identity in a brain? Can we even trust that? Like, and who controls this? How do we know? These are big unanswered questions. And it's one of the reasons I wrote this book because you know, we're opening a box right now. This box could be a gateway to heaven, like where we're all connected. You know, we all cooperate. We understand each other. We become one giant organism and you know, we solve problems in the world and create great value. Could also be Pandora's box where we literally open a hell where all these demons can you know, get into us and literally subvert entire populations, you know, control them. We haven't yet begun to understand or really discuss openly about the potentialities of this technology and the dangers involved to society. That was part one of my chat with Stephen Hoffman, author of The Five Forces That Change Everything. 
talking about brain-computer interfaces that can read your thoughts and write new information into your memory, enabling brain-to-brain nonverbal collaboration. Listen next week for part two, where we talk about artificial intelligence and biohacking. Look for Captain Hoff at founderspace.com. Looking into the future? Why, here at the Bell Labs, it's part of our duty to look as far ahead as possible. The telephone of the future will be an even more prominent and versatile part of our lives than it is today. Equipment and materials needed to do the job are ordered over an advanced dataphone system, which reads the recorded information and transmits it to the data receiving center. Here, a dataphone receiving unit duplicates the ordering information, which is fed into data processing machines and electronic computers. The processed information on the ordered items is then dataphoned to the correct manufacturing, assembling, and shipping points around the world. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker, or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 NVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2 XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords, so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf, or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? 
study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.